Get ready to hear some noise tonight. You're about to go behind enemy lines with the original Blues Hockey Podcast. Let's go Blues Radio. Welcome to Let's Go Blues Radio, the original podcast of the Stanley Cup champion, St. Louis Blues. Stanley Cup champion, St. Louis Blues. God, that sounds good. This is Season 8, Episode 4, Franchise Episode number 190 all time, 10 from 200. That's pretty impressive. I want to thank the Wild and Free for the use of their song Fire there that you heard in the open. And uh, probably don't mention this enough. A big thanks to Tom Calhoun uh, for that open as well. Uh, Tom, obviously, uh, is the PA announcer for the St. Louis Blues and uh, was gracious enough to record our opening, which was great. Uh, Tom's just a a wonderful guy, and uh, if you ever need voiceover work or if you're looking to... Start listening to some books on tape. Uh, Tom does that, and he uh, he's also available for voiceover work or announcing work, whatever. Uh, just check out paguytom.com. So a big thanks to Tom as well. Uh, big fan of his, and uh, here at Let's Go Blues Radio, we support anything he does. So make sure you check out paguytom.com. Please check out the letsgoblues.com shop and consider buying a reasonably priced shirt, mug, or sticker. We've got new shirts up there from the Blues Playoff Run that are uh, actually uh, getting some traction from people. Uh, so if you haven't seen those, it's uh, Play Gloria shirts and uh, just some other cool ones that uh, Kurt has designed. So uh, all proceeds from those go back into the show. So again, if you uh, haven't uh, been there yet, go to letsgoblues.com and then click the shop option right there at the top please subscribe to our show on spotify apple or google podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts you can also listen at let's go blues if you're on apple Podcasts, please give us that five star rating and leave us a review that helps new listeners find us so we appreciate everyone who's already done that and we'd like to ask you if you haven't to please do that as well Uh, Also on top of the show, there's a couple things that uh, I want to mention before we get into our segments. Uh, First of all, those of you who follow me on social media, this is a little bit of a personal note, but I wanted to to give a a call out to my good friend Lynn McNew of Almighty Tattoos in Belleville, Illinois. If you need a tattoo, go see Lynn. Uh, Big hockey fan, plays hockey with me. He's an excellent goaltender uh, on the Illinois side, often plays... uh, in the St. Louis area. Uh, but yeah, Lynn is great. He designed a new tattoo for me. And for those that haven't seen it, uh, it is a tattoo that's dedicated to Jordan Bennington. I told my wife, and I mentioned this on the show in the second round, 
that if Jordan Bennington gets the Blues the Stanley Cup, I will get a Jordan Bennington-inspired tattoo. And that's exactly what I got. You can see it on my social media channels if you haven't seen it yet. It's a uh, it's a Stanley Cup with a banner around it that says, Do I Look Nervous? And uh, Lynn completely drew that. And then, uh, you know, obviously put the ink on me. He did all the work for it. So a big thanks to Lynn. Uh, again, if you need a tattoo, Lynn McNew of Almighty Tattoos in Belleville, Illinois. Also should mention Carl Gunnarsson. Congrats. Welcome back to the team, buddy. Who would have thought that was coming? Two years, $3.5 million. Uh, good for him. Good for the Blues. That's a great signing for the Blues. I had written him off. I know Kurt did as well, and I believe Bill did as well. Uh, wow. That's a great contract for the Blues. Uh, Gunnarsson, I guess, just wants to, to keep the party going, as we say on this uh, on this podcast. And obviously he's looking to, to get another Stanley Cup with the Blues. So uh, very cool that uh, he was able to sign a what I consider a very big discount for the Blues. And um, I'm sure the I'm sure Doug Armstrong was very happy to put ink to paper on that contract. Well, again, we're going to keep the party going here, folks. And uh, this is our segment where we hear from you, the listener, and give you the option to tell us what you think about the Blues winning the Stanley Cup. If you would like to contribute to this segment, we have, uh, we've got some still in the bank here, so probably about five or six more at least. Uh, but as I said, I want to do this all summer. I want to keep the party going all summer. So make sure you submit it to us here at Let's Go Blues Radio at radio at letsgoblues.com. Just let us know what it meant to you personally, uh, and I'd love to read it. So this one, as we keep the party going, comes from Keith in St. Louis. And by the way, uh, I should mention that uh, his email address includes the name Bob Basson. So there's a reference to that. Uh, but yeah, Bob Basson, that's a, that's a name that I'm sure many of you recall. And if you don't, look him up on Hockey Reference. Keith writes, As you can see from my screen name, I'm a longtime Blues fan, one of the few Basson jerseys seen at the arena. You guys nailed it in one of your last podcasts about not knowing how to celebrate this event. Not only did I not want to think about how to celebrate, but it's not actually part of my thinking process to imagine celebrating something like this. How can you imagine celebrating something you've only dreamed about and never even been close to realizing? For me, the biggest thing is that everything that's happened in the past has been wiped clean. Every negative thought towards every player, coach, or GM is gone. I'm almost a bit scared that next year I might not care at all what happens, which is which is a 180 degree different than any season in the past. It's kind of funny. Uh, I'm also slightly nervous how I will feel going forward, as this was such an epic event, I can't imagine it ever being matched again. As we got into the third round and finals, I forced myself to enjoy the journey and try not to fear the end, just in case as the amount of fun I had was unexplainable. I started following you guys a year ago and also listened to the Blues podcast and net front presence with Gordon and Thomas. I can't imagine the number of tweets, articles, podcasts, news stories, and videos I've read, watched over the last six weeks, but I still can't get enough. I'm with you there. Honestly, I used to have trouble falling asleep, but now I'm able to fall right asleep listening to one of the podcasts above every night with no problem. Well, I'm 
Keith, I'm glad we could put you to sleep. Uh, that's, uh, that, that means a lot. <laughs> I kid, of course. Back to Keith. It's great to hear you guys who think like I do, which confirms I'm not completely 100% crazy. If you're looking for validation from us, uh, Keith, that's probably not the way to go. You need to talk to some actually sane people. Again, back to Keith. I only have one friend who is as big of a fan as I am, and both of us have three kids, so it's tough to get together. I would love to be around more people that want to talk hockey 24 hours a day. My kids are huge fans, but as you all know, they cannot even imagine the pain I've suffered as a longtime Blues fan. A few of my great and not-so-great memories are being at Monday Night Miracle at the barn with a book-in-hand studying, meeting Shanahan, Janney, McKinnis, and Havanaugh at High Point, and drinking beer with them and watching them hit on my girlfriends. Working in Calgary and meeting Calgary fans and anti-McKinnis fans and going to the game at Saddledome, first row bought from the scalper outside. Working with Dwight Schofield. Living in Detroit and coming back from 3-1 to one deficit to beat the Red Wings. Going to University of Illinois and having to drive to Mattoon to watch the Blackhawks beat the Blues in order to avoid all the Chicago fans. Painfully watching many goals scored against us from Sunrise in the playoffs. Watching Gretzky and Hall leave the team. Trading Pronger. God, why did we do that? I know the reason, and it's still stupid. Ugh, amen, Keith. Trying to remember how many picks we actually lost related to Scott Stevens. The back is hit by Seabrook. Tony Twist Haymakers. Beating the Blackhawks in 2016. Walk to the barn past Emos from a parking spot in the middle of nowhere. Every minute of 2019 playoffs, but top five. So here's his top five of the 2019 playoffs. Schwartz game winner versus Winnipeg. Game six domination win against San Jose at the Enterprise Center. Game seven Dallas OT Pat Maroon winner. Gunner game two OT goal versus Boston and watch party. And of course, Game 7 Boston, Shen goal to lockup series and cup at watch party. He also adds a, a zero here, which is a little unfair. Uh, so that means he has six top plays. You know what? Who cares? We're Stanley Cup champions. He has Pareko snapshot of Bishop Neck and follow-up goal. To wrap this up, I think this has certainly filled a huge sports void that I had, and it was every bit worth the wait and better than I could have ever imagined. There's only one first time, and this high has been a blast that I'm not really sure when, if, or ever I will come down. From Keith. Keith, thanks for the email. Uh, Longtime Blues fan. Um, Yeah, I think uh, you you, you spoke the sentiments of many people there that uh, we just really never thought this would happen. So um, thanks for keeping the party going, Keith. And again, if anybody would like to contribute, just email us, radio at letsgoblues.com. Well, my guest this week, we're going to be talking Montreal Canadiens with Jared Book from Habs Eyes on the Prize. If you're not familiar with Habs Eyes on the Prize, they're probably the best, uh, I guess, fan-run blog, I guess is what you could call it. Uh, It's an SB Nation site, so they are affiliated with the same people St. Louis Game Time is, and uh, just a a great blog for anyone looking for any information on the Montreal Canadiens. We recorded this on April 18th, so again, this was uh, a time when we were talking about the potential of the Blues winning the Stanley Cup, so um, keep that in mind as you listen as uh, I talk with Jared Book of Habs Eyes on the Prize. 
Today on Let's Go Blues Radio, Behind Enemy Lines, we are talking Montreal Canadiens, or as some say, the Montreal Canadiens. I probably said that wrong, but I did take French class, so I, I like to think I was at least close. Uh, I am with uh, Jared Book, the Deputy Managing Editor of Habs Eyes on the Prize, which is a, a website that Bill Day loves. Bill Day, uh, the uh, the uh, uh, co-host of this show, um, big Montreal Canadiens fans, a second favorite team, grew up loving them. Uh, he actually suggested Habs Eyes on the Prize, so uh, you guys came at a, a very, very high marks from somebody on this show. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Uh, so Jared also runs, uh, he's also part of the podcast over there, Habsent Minded. That's H-A-B-S-E-N-T Minded. Uh, so check them out over at uh, Habs Eyes on the Prize website, which is uh, HabsEyesOnThePrize.com, an SB Nation site. Uh, Jared, before we get started, I'm going to run down a, a couple different statistics here that uh, are kind of important to the Blues and Canadians all-time history. So the Blues have a uh, all-time record against the Montreal Canadiens in 134 games played. This is not good for the Blues. 37, 74, 22, and 1. Uh, that 1, obviously, is a overtime loss. But, uh, yeah, 74 losses for the Blues in 134 games. That's uh, not very good. Uh, first meeting between these two teams was on October 28th, 1967. In Montreal, and that was a 4-1 win for the Canadiens. Uh, the Blues lost to the Montreal Canadiens in their first two Stanley Cup final appearances. Uh, they were swept in 1968 and 1969. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's part of the Blues' 0-12 run in these in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, eight of those losses coming at the hands of the Montreal Canadiens. So, Jared, this is where uh, we're going to start our conversation here. There's, you know, we could go back. I don't know how much you know about the early history about the uh, the Blues and Canadians, but um, one of the many, many, many Stanley Cups that the Montreal Canadiens have, have won, actually two of the many, came against the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel bad for anybody who came out of that expansion division. You know, yeah. it, just happened, it just happened to be St. Louis a couple of times, but... Whether it was Montreal or whether it was any of the teams that that came out of that original six division, the, the odds were pretty pretty stacked against whoever came through. And you, know, you mentioned that the Blues zero and twelve. I mean, you know, you look at that—that's the exception, right? You, know, you look at Vegas and what they're doing in in an open concept is is quite remarkable. Mm-hmm. But you know, having having to go through those those Canadian teams uh, in in the sixties. Late sixties. I mean, I, I don't. I don't think any of the original six could have beaten them in the Stanley Cup final. Never mind an expansion team. No, no, never. I mean, that's uh, yeah. The, for those who don't know, that's how it was stacked. It was the original six versus the new six, and uh, yeah, that didn't favor well for the new six. They did not. Uh, <laughs> took them a few years to get into it. <laughs> a couple, yeah. What was it? The Philadelphia Flyers were they the first uh, of the expansion six to to win a cup? It took a while. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, we could go back and try to recap some of the 70s and 80s. But let's be honest here, Jared, you and I are not uh, not of the older generation. So we're going to go back as far as we can try and remember. Uh, for me, I'm not sure what your age is. The The first big trade that I can remember between the Blues and the Canadiens happened on August 19th, uh, 1994. 
Jim Montgomery, current head coach in the NHL, uh, was traded uh, to Montreal for Mr. Guy Carboneau. Now, I know that uh, Guy Carboneau, there's a lot of ties to him in the Montreal organization. Um, do you remember that trade? And if not, um, you know, how big of a, from what you've heard, how big of a deal was it to see Guy Carboneau leave the organization? It, it, it was a pretty big deal. And I don't know how much the, the St. Louis fans know about the circumstances of that trade, but it all started because Guy Carboneau looked at the team photographer during one of their golf tournaments, many golf tournaments, and, and basically flipped the, flipped them off as a joke. <laughs> And and that picture got shown everywhere because Montreal being what it is. And he was the latest in the line of, of captains to be traded. And, you know, you look at, there was a, a, a series of events between Chris Chelios, who was co-captain with, with Carboneau, all the way through to, I want to see Pierre Turgeon, who we'll get into a little bit later, I think, as well. All of the captains got traded of the Montreal Canadiens uh, in the 90s, pretty much, and up until basically Saka Koivu. And yeah, that, that Carvino trade was basically the, the team needing to get rid of him because uh, his actions, joking with the cameraman, ended up going, uh, in those days, viral. Not really uh, internet viral, but but you know obviously the, uh, the circumstance between that trade. And, and a lot of fans were not happy about it. And it just was one of many trades in the early to mid nineties that uh, you know basically since ninety three that made the Canadians go down the road that they eventually went down, and uh, those those late nineties uh, early two thousand years were were not very fun. Yeah, I mean that that's my memory kind of of the um, it, before we get into that quick note, Jim Montgomery. Uh, let me tell you, long standing tradition there in Montreal. Five games played, zero points, minus two. So I'm sure after seeing those stats, Canadians fans were even more happy about that trade. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, they, I, uh, I don't remember. I, you know, the only memory I have of Jim Jim Montgomery is uh, I, I have I used to collect the Canadians media guides, and Jim Montgomery that year was the year that the Molson Center, now Bell Center, was was being under construction. And so they had all the players wearing construction suits and, and helmets and, and like the, the coveralls and the overalls. And I remember Jim Montgomery being one of those players. And that's, that's, that's really my, my one memory of Jim Montgomery as a Montreal Canadian. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's uh we, we might remember him a little bit on ice here in St. Louis, but uh, there's not a lot there either. He only played 67 games for the blues, only 122 NHL career games uh which apparently he ended his career in 2003 with the Dallas Stars. I think you could say that to a Dallas Stars fan and they would not remember that. Uh but uh Carbono was probably on that team as well or, or maybe that was after he retired. But, that's a great point. Uh, he might have been actually. Um yeah, cuz didn't he he played with uh with his uh son-in-law, did he not? Yeah, Brendan Morrow. Yeah. Um yeah. He, he was he, uh, he, was, he was not on that team. He had just left. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Yep, I think you're right. Um, so you had mentioned it. Uh, you know, obviously again, you're you're not you're you're probably around my age, I'm not exactly sure, but um, you know, I'm sure that uh you hear all the, the glory years of the Canadians, you see all the banners up and and then you know, you had the year uh was at ninety three, they won the cup again with Patrick Waugh. Um you know, it's it's interesting because you know here in St. Louis, obviously, we've never seen a cup. We've never really seen 
uh, sustained success in terms of, of winning the entire league. But, you know, we've always kind of been there. We've always at least, you know, been like, okay, well, our team is, is uh, you know, in the mix. They're, they're fighting for a playoff spot or fighting for the number one spot in the division. But they're in Montreal for a couple of years, a hockey mad market. Just some lean years there. Uh, that that had to be interesting to to witness, I guess, as a as not only just a fan but somebody living in Montreal. Yeah, you know, you can kind of tell the mood of the city based on on the Canadians, and you know when when there's playoff hockey going on, you see you know we, the collar flags going through the city. You see people not even on game days just wearing Canadians jerseys downtown. And when they're not playing well, the fans are very quick to get you out of mind. And it's uh, th- those years were, were tough. And uh, I'm I'm 30, 34. So I I remember 93. Little known fact about me is that I was actually a bigger baseball fan growing up than a hockey fan, which is rare in, in Montreal, obviously. Right. Uh, but 93, 94 were great years for the expos at that point and i i remember more from the 94 baseball strike than i do of the 93 stanley cup wow and uh, it's so you know looking back at that it's it's weird to to think about now that you know you're in montreal and there's obviously no more baseball team here but it's you really feel a difference in the generations of fans and we're at a point right now we're you know, 25 years after 93, there are entire generation, that's an entire generation of fans who've never seen a Stanley Cup. And you have a, obviously a few generations that are used to Montreal winning. And it's a really interesting dynamic between people who are, you know, if you don't win the Stanley Cup, you're, it's a, it's a disappointment to people who look at this season for the Canadians. Obviously they missed the playoffs. But it was such a remarkable season because nothing was expected of them. I would say it a successful season. And people are like, oh, the goal is just to make the playoffs. That's that's not what you want. And it's it's kind of an adjustment period that has to be done. We, you know, you have – Carey Price became the all-time winningest goalie in Canadians history this year. And there are people who are like, if he doesn't win a Stanley Cup, they can't retire his jersey, mm. which, which is – in my mind, silly <laughs> because yes, you know if my, my thinking of this is the New York Yankees retired Don Mattingly's number. I'm sorry to go back to baseball again, but I know it's a hockey podcast. But well, you're Yankees, talking to us to a lot of St. Louis people. Keep <laughs> yeah, that in mind. exactly, exactly. <laughs> there's there's that the dynamic there. So you have Don Mattingly who has his number retired by the New York Yankees without playing a playoff game, and if they can do that. You know, Montreal can retire Sakakogu's number. They could retire Carey Price's number, Andre Markov, things like that. So, and I think that that's, you know, my generation now, you know, you're looking at the 25 to, you know, want to say 35, 40 year olds. That's the generation that's making the decisions, that's buying tickets. And the the older generation is is not really there. And so it, it's an interesting dynamic. And you see the organization trying to shift away from their history a little bit, because I, I think that that did, more harm than good uh, as you got into the, the late nineties, early two thousands. And even, you know, as soon as, you know, five, 10 years ago. 
Yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, we the Blues fans. It's funny. I, I've already talked about this a couple times on on this this summer series I'm doing with uh, you know pe- Blues fans look back at 2006 and uh, you know through 2011 and they say you know oh those are the dark years. That's a really short span of time for a lot of teams. I mean, you look at Chicago, what they went through for years and years before they finally got good again. Um, you know, and then, you know, even teams like uh, Minnesota, you know, even they, they, they didn't have a team for a while. You know, they, they went out without a team for a couple of years before the wild showed up. So, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because these blues fans, you know, we talk about, Oh yeah, we, we know exactly what you're talking about. And at least your teams want a cup. But like you said, there are generations of fans in Montreal and Toronto is especially comes to mind too, that have never seen a cup. And they've seen their team just be abysmal year after year for for multiple times. And it's just, yeah, we we know it, but do we really know how bad it can be? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, everything's relative, right? I mean, you know, Vegas could go out before the Stanley Cup final this year and it'll be their worst season in history. So everything is is relative. You know, you talk about success and and failures and, 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 you know, the idea that one team at the end of the season is happy and every other team should be upset. I don't know if that's the way to look at things. And, and you you see people who laugh at teams that raise regular season banners or, you know, conference championship banners, but you know what? Those are still achievements. And there's people in Montreal who would laugh at that, but at the same time, it's a different era. And I'm not saying that Montreal would ever raise those banners because, you know, they have as many enough, up there as it is, but <laughs> yeah. I, I I think that you have to celebrate those small victories because otherwise you're just going to be miserable every year. And I, I don't know if that's the way to to kind of look at things. It's kind of a binary: did we win the Stanley Cup? Yes, no. Then we're happy or we're upset. Yeah, I mean, again, if if you're talking about St. Louis fans, if that was the rule, you can't retire numbers unless that player has won a cup there. <laughs> The Blues would not have anybody hanging in the rafters. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so somebody else that I want to talk about, uh, and it, it kind of plays into that that stretch there where the Canadians were were a more rough team than a team that you could rely on being in the playoffs. Uh, nineteen ninety six, actually, to be specific, October twenty ninth, nineteen ninety six. Uh, big trade, I think, at least for St. Louis Blues history. Uh, you can speak to it from the Montreal perspective, but. Uh, the Blues had traded Murray Barron, Shane Corson, and a fifth-round pick in 1997 for Craig Conroy, Rory Fitzpatrick, and uh, Pierre Turgeon. So that now Rory Fitzpatrick, he you know had a very small his claim to fame was almost making the All Star game that one year for yeah. Vancouver. <laughs> but um, Craig Conroy and Pierre Turgeon, those were two cornerstones of the team for a good. I mean Conroy about five years and then Turgeon for about seven to eight years. And and they were, I mean, Turgeon especially, he was, and he's still, I say, one of the most underrated blues of all time. People people list off, you know, the top 10 greatest blues, and, and some will leave Turgeon off that list. But he had a couple great seasons there. He, he turned Scott Young into a 40-goal scorer. He was a heck of a leader. He was a guy you relied on at big moments. Um, he... He just was always a guy that you would throw out late in a game and, and expect him to do something magical. And um, I know that that his career in Montreal is uh, slightly maligned because of you know the, the trade and being the last captain at the uh, the old uh, Bell Center. 
Um, but you know, what, what's your take on on Pierre Turgeon? And if you want to uh, get into that trade, go right ahead. You know, Pierre Turgeon. I, you mentioned being one of the most underrated Blues. He was never appreciated the way he should have been in Montreal. You, know, you look at his his time in Montreal in ninety four ninety five. After coming over from the Islanders, he had twenty points in fifteen games. The next season, his only full season in Montreal, he had 96 points in 80 games. And then the 96-97 season, before getting traded, he had 11 points in nine games. You know, over well over a point a game in, in Montreal in an era where the team was was not very good. And, and I mentioned the dark days. This trade is one of those that, that led them down that path. You look at the guys they got back. Shane Corson was older than Turgeon at the time. Montreal had no reason to get older in that kind of trade. You know, Craig Conroy was was good for St. Louis. He was great in Calgary after going there. Obviously, he had offensive talent. You know, Montreal was looking for a center for years and not having one. And, and it's the kind of trade where you look at the Rajon Hull era in Montreal. That's that's the one. That That's one of the trades that, that really, if you have to pinpoint – what caused that that the worst stretch in in Canadian history, and I don't use that term lightly. I really do think it was. That's the trade that you look at, and you know, Corson his you know was obviously with Montreal earlier in his career. You know, was part of a Stanley Cup winning team, but he was he was not the same player. He almost became captain. You know, a couple of years later, uh, and Sakakovu won that that team vote which uh was was very close uh allegedly uh according to the media at the time but mm. you know that's that's the trade where it really led us down that path and, and that trade was was awful <laughs> yeah. there's no there's no ways around it i mean murray Barron, you know a, a 97 fifth rounder like what, what that's there's nothing there nothing there that comes close to even craig conroy never mind pierre turgeon i mentioned how you know the statistics he had in montreal and and I think that that goes to the whole thing with the franchise is just expectations being so high. And, you know, you have a French Canadian player coming into town wearing the C. You expect huge things from him. And he performed. But I, they, he just it, it didn't work out. It didn't work out. And I, I don't remember the exact circumstance of that trade if he was unhappy. And I would guess he would be because, you know, French Canadian players in Montreal don't don't usually get the, especially back then, uh, get, get all the negative attention. You know, it, yeah. you can, you can score three goals, but if you give the puck away and, and one gets scored against you, uh, that's all they're going to talk about. And we, we see it now with Jonathan Drouin, same yes. kind of thing. Uh, you know, he came in in a, what was the controversial trade, I guess, because Mikhail Shurgachev was, was their top prospect at the time and expecting the world. And he's, he's a very good player. But it's not the world, and, and fans are, are and media are on them all the time, and it's just it's the curse that comes with the expectations. And I I think Pierre Turgeon not keeping Pierre Turgeon was was one of the worst moves of of the Rajon Hula era, and that includes trading Patrick Waugh. So uh, <laughs> that's you know there's a lot of trades that went went poorly in that era for Montreal. Uh yeah, and you had mentioned that Turgeon maybe was uh you know just not appreciated. I think it was. You could say the same thing almost for Craig Conroy in St. Louis. He was he was mostly a fourth line center in St. Louis. Now I know that he was much younger when he played in Montreal. 
Um, I think he only played, uh, was it one season? Is it even a season? I I, yeah, he, he didn't play very long in Montreal, uh, for sure. He was drafted here, but I think it was mostly in the minor leagues at that point. I think yeah. kind of looks like he had uh, he had 13 games played for Montreal before he yeah. joined the Blues. So yeah, not not a not a large enough sample size there for Canadians fans to to get a feel on him. But once he got to St. Louis, he kind of be, uh, became cemented as the fourth line center on this team. Now at the time, obviously they they brought in Turgeon, so he was the number one. Eventually, Pavel Dimitro became a center. They had Michael Hanzus and a slew of other guys come through the system that um, had had taken the center role. So Conroy kind of always got pushed back because he was so reliable defensively. Um, and I remember having many conversations with my brother, who was a, a big Pierre uh, um, uh, Craig Conroy fan, saying, man, they should try him on a second line just to see how he does. Well, then he goes to Calgary and plays with Jerome McGinlaw on the top line. Starts putting up 75 points, almost 60 points the next year, over 60 points uh, the next uh, couple of years later in L.A. Shows that he has that offensive potential. So you talk about that trade, getting rid of Turgeon was just not the right move at the time because they needed a center. They might have had that in Craig Conroy, too. <laughs> yeah, I remember, I think it was Craig Button who does uh, some TV work at TSN in Canada, and he was talking about that Craig Conroy trade because he was the GM of Calgary when they acquired Craig Conroy. And he said that, you know, listen, I scouted him in junior. He had offensive talent. I don't think that he lost that. So we, we took a, you know, a gamble on him, put him with Jerome McGinley, and the, the results are, are clear to see that he obviously still had that in, in him. And I, I feel that, that that era, it was not the right era to be, you know, just around six feet <laughs> and, and just around 200 pounds. And, and that's, that's pretty much where, what Conroy was. And, you talk about you know six two two hundred now nowadays would be you know big if not you know normal size for 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 average or above average for a player, right. but but back then it was small, and it, it just wasn't the same dynamic of uh, of play. And you know if you weren't on the top two lines, you were pretty much expected to hit people and fight. And I, I feel that you know maybe if he was. If he was born about ten years later, we'd be talking about Craig Conroy a lot differently. Not that he had a bad career at all, but I feel like in his era, he was maybe a little, a little bit ahead of his time in terms of a, you know, middle, middle six kind of player who could could put up a lot of points for you. Right. Yep. I. You know what's funny? Um, I'm going to tell a quick uh, Craig Conroy story to you. A um, couple years, it was probably about two years after he was acquired. Maybe. Yeah. You, know, you know what? It was probably about two thousand. So about four years after he was acquired, um, there was a trade show out here, a, a trading card show uh, out here in St. Louis. And uh, they had a couple Cardinals and a couple blues come down to, to sign autographs. And my dad and I went, um, I remember Pavel Dimitro was there. He didn't speak very much English yet at the time. Uh, Chris Pronger was there and Craig Conroy was there. And uh, I had lucky, luckily enough had a rookie card of Conroy with the Canadiens. And so I handed him the card. He wore number 22 in, in St. Louis and uh, number 28 in Montreal. And he uh, he looks at the card and he goes, oh, my God, I, I've, I've never seen this before. And I go, what? And he goes, I've never seen one of my rookie cards. And I'm like, are you serious? And he goes, yeah, I've never seen one. They, they, they just, I guess they didn't print enough. And I'm like, that's crazy. I'm like, man, if you want to keep it, you can. I don't care. Like, you know, I'm happy to just, you know, take a, blues car to you and have you sign that one instead and he just goes 
no, man, I can't do that. Oh, my God, this is so cool, though. And I'm like, dude, seriously, just take the card. I don't care. <laughs> and he wouldn't. He refused. Um, so then he goes and he starts signing it. He signs it 22. And then he goes, wait a minute. Nope, nope, nope. This is a Canadian's card. I got to sign 28. <laughs> so he, he changes the two to an eight right there. And he just goes, no, you hold on to this. This is going to be worth at least $3 one day. And I, I loved it. I mean, I was a teenager at the time. I, I just thought that was great. So uh, another guy, true. I mean, you know, we we talk all the time on, on my show on, on Let's Go Blues Radio, and I'm sure you guys do it, uh, the, uh, the absent-minded podcast, about how good and how different hockey players are from other sports. Um, and just, you know, they, they love the fans. They really... Uh, they're just more down to earth than we've seen in the past from other organizations, other sports. Um, and yeah, Craig Conroy is one of those guys, a fan favorite, just because he was always a guy that could that could uh, you know go out with the fans, have fun, and and always tell jokes. So uh, I'm sure you had a couple characters like that in in Montreal as well. Yeah, it, it's it's funny because in Montreal they they tend to be more guarded just because there's so much attention. I, I guess it's more similar to how the Cardinals are seen compared to the Blues. Yeah. In, in terms of, you know, if someone walks down the street and it's a it's a fringe player on the Blues, he might not get recognized. But, you know, the the 25th guy on the, the Cardinals roster is going to get recognized. And, and it's kind of like that in Montreal where, you know, anybody will have people crowd them and maybe not crowd them because fans like to give them a little bit of space. But it's the, the attention is is so much so vast and you know you have guys who who don't really go out because they they know they're gonna get you know seen and to get pictures taken care of of them and things like that and there's stories obviously uh, of players who you know are out and max patcheretti was a guy who who went out all the time he 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 didn't care he'd go out for dinner he'd go to his kids hockey games and he'd he'd have time for fans and and things that they hear stories like that and and but I mean it's it's a different it's a different ball game in Montreal. You know they're they're the celebrities. You know mm-hmm. you you go to a city like even Toronto. You go to Toronto and there's there's actual celebrities. There's singers. There's actors. There's there's you know people you know, on TV and things like that. In Montreal there isn't that. It's the Canadians. You know mm-hmm. the, the, there's people following the Canadians wherever they go. It's it's you know it's it's a completely different mindset of of a thing here and and you know there's no flying under the radar in, in montreal you know we, we have players who uh on weekends they go to like chocolate uh lint chocolate stores and sign autographs and there's lineups outside of those places like it's 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 completely different to what you you would you would see and and so you don't really get those stories because there's not that you know one random person is like oh yeah i, I recognize this person it's it's just it's way more over the top. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. Uh, so again, talking about uh, Montreal Canadiens and St. Louis Blues, um, we're gonna we're gonna fast forward a little bit here. I mean, again, you know, a couple of these uh, these these interviews shows that I've done. There's all these you know memorable games you can talk about playoff series. Again, really only ones that that exist between the Blues and Canadians. We're in the 60s and 70s, and uh, unfortunately, you and I were not around then. So we're going to skip over those. Sorry, old timers. Uh, but um, another big trade, and this is one that, that most people who listen to the show are going to remember, and probably even people listen to your show. Uh, June 17th, 2010, uh, Yaroslav Halak 
just came off what was one of the most impressive goaltending performances in Stanley Cup playoffs history. Um, you know, I, I put it right behind J.S. Jaguar uh, in in 2003, and then just all the other great ones we've seen. I mean, even Mark Andre Fleury last year. Um, just a unbelievable performance. But you know, the Canadians again know they've got Carey Price, who's ready to go, uh, and is a, a franchise goalie. Yaroslav Halak's looking like a franchise goalie. And I remember when that season ended. The rumors in St. Louis were Carey Price is coming to St. Louis. It was always it was Carey Price. We're going to get that backup goalie in Montreal. And when they got Yaroslav Halak, this town went bonkers because this that was right in the midst of them not making the playoffs for a couple of years. And and it was actually they just made it in 09, but they're swept in the first round by the the Canucks and uh, clearly outmatched. So this was a big deal in St. Louis. Yaroslav Halak comes to St. Louis. Uh, in exchange for Lars Eller and Ian Schultz, and uh, and this is this was kind of a oh my god we're back in the playoffs now it took a couple more years after that uh, I guess it took one more year uh, when they got Brian Elliott brought in as well but still Yaroslav Halak was uh, had a spotlight on him here in St Louis and I remember one thing in particular about this was shortly after this this trade had went down. Yaroslav Halak was still set up to do a autograph signing in Montreal and he still did it. He went like, I want to say it was about a month after the trade and still did the autograph signing in Montreal, even though he was a St. Louis blue at the time. So I bet that was a very, very heartbreaking trade for uh, many Canadians fans. Yes and no. And, and it's, it depends how you look at it because yeah, that, that playoff run was incredible. And in an age where now, if a team is getting outshot like crazy and winning games, all everyone talks about was, oh, this is not sustainable. You know, it, you're, you're, you're going to lose at some point. But that year was before those advanced stats became mainstream. And you just got to like enjoy the ride because you're like, nothing was expected of the Canadians that year. They finished. Uh, you know, seventh or eighth in the conference, uh, probably eighth. I think they they beat, play Washington. Eighth. Yeah, yeah. They they play Washington. They they beat them in seven games. Then they play Pittsburgh. They lose Andre Markov, who was their top defenseman. They get PK Subban to come up and kind of make his NHL debut, pretty much in the playoffs. And they beat Pittsburgh, which that wasn't expected either. So they beat the number one seed, the number two seed, and then they, you go to play the Philadelphia Flyers and you see Michael Layton on the other side. Oh, the Canadians are, are going to win this one. And then they get halacked by, by Michael Layton. It's funny because the series they lost was the only one that they outplayed the other team in. So <laughs> it, it's just, it, it's that, that, that playoff run was, was crazy to, to, to think about and, and to watch and to look back. And yeah, Halak became the star of that team because that was a year after they totally revamped the entire Canadians franchise. They had Koivu and Kovalev and Alex Tangay, Mike Komasarek, all of those guys left. They traded for Scott Gomez. All the other guys left as free agents. And you, you have guys like, like Gomez who came in, Brian Gionta signed as a free agent. Mike Camilleri signed as a free agent. Roman Hammerlick, Hal Gill, 
Yaroslav Spachek, all, all these guys came in and it, it's funny because the, the marketing campaign for that year was, was basically that the, the, <laughs> the players saying, I am their name and we are Canadians. That was the marketing plan because the, the turnover was so drastic mm. and Kerry Price has had such an up and down relationship with the, with the Canadians. And that was when obviously he was not playing up to what everyone thought was his potential. Halak came in, saved the day, had stop signs. People were spray painting over stop signs of Halak mm. instead of stop. And it, it was remarkable because all through this time, you're thinking they're not going to trade Carey Price, are they? Mm. <laughs> because that that was that was the fear. It's because you knew Price was going to get over whatever he was he was going through. And then when they traded Halak at the top of his value, and, and getting a guy like Lars Eller, it was a trade where f- fans were upset. <laughs> you know, the fans who just remember Halak playing in the playoffs, like how can we trade him and trust mm. Carey Price? And obviously. You know, history is is not on that side, right? But it, it was it was touch and go when that trade happened. So yeah, it was it was a big trade. And, and Lars Eller, I think, was miscast because of that trade, a little mm-hmm. bit. He he was hurt by that trade because the expectation was like, oh, this is going to be our number one center. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I don't know if you guys had an impression of Lars Eller in, in his short time in St. Louis before the trade, but that's not what Lars Eller was. And you see him no. in Washington now. He's a very good player. He's not a number one center. So I think that, that that kind of hurt. And we talked about expectations a lot so far already. But that was one where expectations hurt the, the perception. And yeah, I mean, you ask any Canadians fan who was around in 2010, don't remember that trade. And my, my, my honest first impression was relief and, hey, that's a good player that they got. Because you didn't really know what was going on. We, we dealt with a lot of bad trades in Montreal, yeah. especially ones involving goaltenders, right. so uh, it was it was pretty traumatizing. I would say in in a in a loose sense, obviously, but yeah, it was. I remember that trade. That's probably one of the most memorable trades. I'm not yet. I want to say most memorable. But no, there's been a lot more trades since then that have been more memorable. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's 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 definitely a, a trade that worked out. I think for Montreal and and it, you know it got St. Louis over the hump a little bit. I think as well. Oh, it did, yeah, and and so I wanted to ask you about about specifically uh, goaltending in Montreal. Now, obviously, your your history is just ridiculous compared to St. Louis's. I mean, it's not it, it, there's no comparison. But uh, we always talk on this show about how there's always a it. it you know, I, I think of it like the movie Twilight. You know, my favorite movie of all time. I'm just kidding. Not my favorite movie of all time. But you know, there's always the the team Edward and the team. Jacob, Jacob, I think, yeah. uh, you know, and, and I think that kind of started maybe this whole thing in St. Louis because Brian Elliott comes in all of a sudden it was, are you team Halak or are you team Elliott? And then it turned into, are you team Elliott or are you team Jake Allen? Are you Jake Allen or are you Carter Hutton? Are you Jake Allen or are you Jordan Biddington? It's just, <laughs> it's been constant. So thinking back to that time and obviously since then, Carey Price has just taken over the rings and and no doubt, no question, the number one guy in, in, in Montreal. But at that time, was there a contingent of Canadians fans who were saying, you got to go with Price? And then our contingent saying, no, you got to go with Halak? Absolutely. A- mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, without a doubt. It, it was it was as divided as the fan base got 
up until the PK Subban trade. Um, and that a hundred percent because you had the people who knew what Carey Price was capable of, the reason why he was a fifth overall pick, the reason why the franchise put all their hopes in him. And, and there was a couple of years where, where Price was not very good. And a lot of it is, you know, you use the Twilight example. I'll, I'll use maybe the, the, the Harry Potter. I'll go Harry Potter. There you and go. Where, where Harry Potter was like the appointed savior. And, and then you have like someone like Hermione who worked her way into like that, that same situation, the same spot. So you have basically Carey Price, who was a first overall pick, fifth overall, sorry, fifth first round pick, fifth overall. And you have Yaroslav Halak, who was a seventh round pick, kind of out of nowhere, you know, nothing was expected of him, and and worked his way to basically the same situation. They were fighting for the job, and yeah, it, it was very divided, 100%. And Halak was was great, and there was, I, there was one game where I remember against Washington where Halak actually got pulled, and Carey Price went in. And, and, you know, even in that playoff run, there was that question of, are they going to go back to Carey Price in that series? And obviously, it was the right decision to not. But, yeah, I mean, it was... And Carey Price had won playoff series before that. Like, it wasn't like he was still a prospect or, or learning the ropes. He was he was the starter, and then Halak just kind of stole the job from him. So, yeah, it was it was very divided. Uh, I guess it was, it'd be similar to, to what the blues are going through with, with Bennington a little bit where one guy just comes in and just steals the job away. And that, that was what Halak did. And, and the difference is, is that you do it in Montreal and then you win two playoff rounds the way he did that, that kind of writes its own story. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of what we're seeing in St. Louis. You're right. I mean, um, I would never compare Jake Allen to Carey Price, but um, no. I, but you're, but the, the comparison in this situation is correct. I mean, you saw what Jordan Bennington did, this past season, um, just taking over the reins and um, really being the the driving force behind the Blues, getting out of last place and, and jumping into a playoff spot. You do that in St. Louis a year after they miss the playoffs, uh, you're going to be beloved, and that's what he is here in St. Louis. So I think uh, I think all sports fans have the same mindset, uh, whether you're in Montreal or St. Louis. Yeah, um, you, you go ahead. Oh no, go ahead, sir. I mean, you just look at the 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 stats in that year, and and you know, Halak had a nine twenty four save percentage, Price had a nine twelve, uh, you know, two forty goals against average, two seventy seven for Price, and they they pretty much split the games even. Price had forty one games, Halak had forty five. Um, obviously, there's there's games where they're pulled that doesn't add up to eighty two, but but right. Halak started Halak started forty three, Price started thirty nine. So pretty much split up the middle, but the big difference is that Price went thirteen and twenty, Halak went twenty six and thirteen, and you know that's that's pretty much all you have to know about why they went to Halak in the playoffs. But I mean, it you know Price was only twenty two at that point, and Halak was was just a little bit older, twenty four, and it's funny because there's a video of of Bob Gainey right after he drafts Carey Price, and he talks about Carey Price and he's like, yeah, and there's this young guy we just signed. Uh, that we drafted in the seventh round a couple of years ago, Yaroslav Halak. So from the day that Carey Price entered the Canadians organization, there was already Yaroslav Halak being mentioned. And, and I don't think that was Bob Gainey's intention, but it's just funny how that works out and going back to that video on draft day when they mentioned the, the depth of the goaltender. Because at that point, he had Jose Theodore as well. They had Mathieu Garon, who was uh, seen as the, the heir apparent as well. So 
there's a lot of uh, of that in the organization. They they had Halak and they drafted Price anyway, as well. Hmm. Well, I think I think it worked out for him. Seems like the right call. <laughs> yeah. No. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so, uh, one more thing I want to ask you, but actually I've got two because Bill Day wanted me to ask you a certain question as well. The other co-host on the show, uh, Mark Bergevin, I want to ask you about him first though. Um, former blue beloved here until he had a very famous incident. I don't know if you've seen it. I, I, I know exactly you have. what you're going to talk about. I know exactly yep. the one you're talking about. Yep. yep. All blues fans. And it's a shame <laughs> because honestly, he was a good defenseman in St. Louis, but that one play is what he will always be remembered for when he threw it in the net behind Roman Turek uh, in game two against San Jose Sharks in 2000. Uh, just a horrendous moment. Um, and it's funny because anytime there's a trade that, that, ho- that, that the <laughs> hockey community disagrees with and Mark makes in, in Montreal, that picture always resurfaces. So I don't know if it does in Montreal, but it definitely yeah, it does in St. Does. Louis. Yeah, yeah, it definitely resurfaced. And he, uh, he had a couple of, of um, a couple of tough years where every trade he made didn't work out very well for him. I, I'm not even going to say that they were bad trade. All of them were bad trades or, or badly thought out. But you know, even you would expect a couple of trades to work out a little bit. And yeah. he had a couple of years where where none of them worked out, and it, it was, you know, it, it's kind of funny because this year the moves he made, they all pretty much worked out. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, that, that, that video comes up uh, whenever he uh, seems to, you know, hurt his team more than helps it. In the move. <laughs> so what's your, what's your take on him as a GM? You know, it, it's, it's so hard to get a read on, on Mark Bergevin. I, and the reason I, I say that is because there's really three acts of, of his tenure as GM. The first act right out of the lockout, uh, taking over for Pierre Gauthier, who really, I don't want to say ran the organization into the ground, but it was in a bad place. You know, at the end of Pierre Gauthier's reign as general manager, he fired Jacques Martin. For, oh, actually, first, he fired Perry Pern before a game, day of a game, without telling anybody. <laughs> so uh, Jacques Martin didn't fire him. Fire, usually, usually when you fire an assistant coach, it's not the general manager who does it. Right, uh, but in this case, Pierre Gauthier fired Perry Pern, didn't tell anybody day of a game, so that was the first kind of downward slide. Then he uh, he fired Jacques Martin later in that season, and he hired Randy Cunningworth, who at that point was in the Canadians minor league system mm-hmm. as head coach, and that was. I feel really bad for Randy Cunningworth in that situation because you hire an Anglophone coach mm-hmm. in Montreal and there's going to be trouble. And there was yeah. trouble and, and they dealt with that for basically they, no one took him seriously. The, the media mm-hmm. didn't take him seriously. No one, everyone, you know, when you have an interim coach, there's a, a chance that they stay on. Nobody thought he was going to stay on. So mm-hmm. nobody took him seriously. He, there was a game where I think he he healthy scratched Lars Eller and PK Subban uh, in a game I, thought, I want to say in Winnipeg. I don't know if it was the same game, but I remember that that, that happened. And you know, us at Eisner Fries and, and Canadians fans, we, we call it Randy Puck when he was just making these really weird decisions. And I don't think he was a bad coach, but just nobody took him seriously. Mm-hmm. And it was unfortunate because that was his only chance in the NHL as a head coach so far. Um, and then 
he traded Mike Camilleri during a game. Yep. Uh, as that. well. And it was just like, what, what is going on with this organization, a proud franchise? And, you know, yes, there were bad years, but it was always well, an organization that handled itself well. Mm-hmm. It was never an embarrassment, right? They, they might have been bad hockey decisions, but never bad or really bad PR decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that year was just bad. So Mark Bergevin comes in, you know, he was, <laughs> he was actually the one everyone wanted to be hired because the alternative I think was Pierre Maguire. Cool. That was, that was the name that was circled about back then. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, in, in my head, in my head, if I could like have a time machine where I could just see how something worked out, I would want to see what would have happened if the reverse happened, if they went with Pierre Maguire. Um, I always say about Pierre Maguire, I would like to see a team try him as GM, but not my team. (laughs) So just because I think, just because I think it would be really entertaining and I'm curious, like I'm curious how he would run a team, but I'm very happy it wasn't Montreal, especially at that point. (laughs) So you have Mark Bergman who came in, obviously he worked for Chicago. They had success. He came in, he hired Michel Terry as his first move, which was a little bit weird, but Whatever the, the year out of the lockout, they won the division after finishing last, almost last. I think dead last in the Eastern Conference the year before. So that was unexpected, and then they got eliminated by the Ottawa Senators, where they just got outmuscled. Lars Eller, going back to him, got hit at the blue line by Eric Griba, um, lying in a pool of his own blood, and he was that. really coming. He was really coming into his own at that point, but. They got eliminated in five games. Everyone was hurt on that team. Everyone. It was just a, you know, you, you talk about a, a team that had high expectations and they weren't high as Tampa Bay this year, but they were high. They, they won the division. They were, you know, I think close to the top in the conference. They get beat by Ottawa and just beat up. Brian Gianta had a bad shoulder. I think he had like tore his something in his shoulder. It was a baseball injury, basically. Right. Uh, Patch Reddy was hurt. It just, just everyone was playing hurt. It was just, they lost in five games, I want to say. And then he went out and got George Paros in a trade. They they just went for toughness. And uh, they got Douglas Murray as well. Mm-hmm. And, and just completely overreacted to what was an extreme situation. And kind of went down a path and just, he overcorrects. And, mm-hmm. and that's what I want to say. Is he, he He's had good moves. And the, the P.K. Subban thing, you know, first of all, he held on to Michel Terrier way too long. You know, th- this was a team that was set up for success. Carey Price was saving this team when he didn't need to save the team. And that was that's basically the Michel Terrier um, syndrome, is that basically Carey Price won the heart, won the Vezina, but the team around him was good enough to not need Carey Price to save them every night. So that was, he held on to Terrier too long. He traded P.K. Subban, which obviously was not the best trade. It, you know, especially one for one. There was an argument for trading Subban, but not in that trade. And so, the, I mean, then he, every, everything he did that, that year was bad. It, it just worked out badly. Jonathan Drouin, the trade for Sergeyev worked out badly the first year. You know, he traded for, for guy. It just wasn't very good. And then this year, he seemed to kind of overcorrect again, but in a good way. He fired the AHL, um, Coach Sylvain Lefebvre, who had an awful track record in the AHL, 
he was also way too long in the organization. They didn't graduate anybody from their farm system in his tenure. Maybe one guy, and he was a healthy scratch for most of the season this year, Charles Houdon. That's it. So it was just poorly. The assistant coaches were kept on, even though they hired Claude Julien. It was just a mess. But this year, he just over he corrected it. He hired Dominic Ducharme, who I think was one of the best coaches outside the NHL. He hired uh, Joao Bouchard to lead the AHL team, who was one of the, the smartest guys outside the NHL. He traded Alex Galchenyuk for Max Domi, a trade that lots of people thought was going to look bad, and it turned out to be great. Max Domi was, was great for Montreal. He traded Max Pacioretty when really a situation he created himself by tanking his value, you know, saying that he doesn't want him in the team. Like, just a mess. He was at this lowest point in terms of trade value and got a pretty good return from Vegas for him. So, you know, you want to give Mark Bergevin credit, and that's the kind of dilemma we're in right now for Montreal Canadiens, is that you want to give Mark Bergevin credit because the organization right now is in a better place than it was last year or even two years ago. But you're talking about a guy who inherited a young P.K. Subban, a young Carey Price, a young Matt Pacioretty, and has really nothing to show for it, a couple of third-round appearances. So it's, yes, the organization is better today than it was two years ago, but he fixed a mess that he created. And so there's a lot of fans that are hesitant about all that. And it's kind of the dilemma we're in right now of of the Mark Bergevin tenure. So the last question I have for you is from Bill Day, and and uh, this man asks the best questions that you can come up with, so be <laughs> prepared for this one. Is Kasperi Kotkiniemi the reincarnation of Saku Koivu? That's a hard-hitting question. It, right it is a hard-hitting question. Um, <laughs> I feel that, first of all, Saku Koivu is the most underappreciated player I want to say in Montreal Canadiens history, but definitely of the last 30 years. And I think that the fan boy, the fan base really soured on him because they expected great things from him. He was always hurt. You know, at the time of his first knee injury, he was leading the league in scoring. He was with Lindros and Lemieux and Jagger. That That's how good he was. And so do I think that Yasperika Kanyemi will, will get to that point of, Sakovu's peak, I I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think he's going to ever be elite as a number one center. I, I think in some ways he'll be better than Sakovu in terms of maybe all around game, in terms of his the expectations placed on him. He's not going to be expected to be the guy, you know. And he also has a much better surrounding cast. Sakovu had some really bad teams, really bad teams. Uh, you know, we talk about the dark days of the Canadians organization. Sakukovic was the light of those teams. You know, they're just really bad teams. And I think that people are starting to realize what Sakukovic had to deal with while he was captain of the Canadians. And, you know, Kakaniemi is interesting because at the draft last year, nobody thought, at this time last year, nobody thought he was a top three pick. Some people didn't even think he was a top five pick, barely a top 10 pick. And the Canadians picked him at third. And I was at development camp. I was at rookie camp. And he if you would have told me even then that he'd be in the NHL this year, I would have said, no, I don't see it. And I liked the pick. I, I thought that he had upside. 
And, but the, his credit, he got better every single day he was on the ice. And, and I think that he's just scratching the surface of, of what he can become. And I don't know if he'll ever be an elite scorer. He has the skills to do it. But I, I just don't know if he's ever going to be that, that elite guy. But yeah, I think he can be kind of a, a Sakakovu type player where he's a very good number two center, uh, passable number one center. And and the way that this Canadians team is being built with guys like Philip Deneau and Max Domi and, and Ryan Paling, who obviously had a hat trick in his first NHL game, that they're, Nick Suzuki, who they got in the Pacioretty trade, there, there's a lot of talent surrounding Kotkaniemi, which is going to help him because Koivu didn't have that luxury. And, and I think that there is a there is an argument to be made for for the two of them, and I think Kotkaniemi is going to be a very good player uh, in the NHL for for a lot of years. Très bien, très bien, Monsieur Book. Uh, merci beaucoup. Thank you for coming on the show. That's that's the extent of my I remember from my friend in college. Hey, that, that, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> Was I right in pronouncing it the Montreal Canadien? Yeah, that, yeah, is that close? Canadian Montreal. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, it's uh, the, but, yeah. I said it wrong. It's okay. You know, but the, the funny thing is, is that the, the there's there's a women's hockey team called the Canadiens, and oh, so and the funny thing is, is that people don't know how to say Canadians or because they try and pronounce it the French way, so they say Canadiens, mm. and and but when they see the 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 women's team, they don't say Canadiens. They say they try and say. It Canadian and they, they always stumble over the words. So it's kind of funny. It's like the way that you're saying Canadians, that's the way you should say the, the, the women's team. So it, it's just a, something that we, we, you know, we, we, we see a lot, we hear a lot, but um, it, it's, you don't have to overdo it. And it's not just you. I'm, I'm not saying it to you. I'm, I'm just saying in general, it's just something we see a lot. And um, whenever there's, there's a game in, in the, in the U S or, or an English market, that, that's not Montreal. They, they try to overcomplicate it, but right. not just Canadians. It's but no, but your French is fine, man. There's no problem there at all. <laughs> Thank I, you. I, I understood it, that. so so I understood it. So that, that's that's you know, if you ever come to Montreal and you speak that French, they'll, they'll understand you at least. All right, good. Well, I'll <laughs> I'll start boning up a little bit more, and I'll come up for a game next year. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> all right jared thank you this was this was a lot of fun having you on uh we we actually had a lot more to cover than i thought we would so this, that's kind of been the trend here with this show so far this summer so i want to uh thank you for coming on and i also want to give you anyone who's uh possibly a, a closet montreal canadiens fan maybe there are other canadians fans listening to this show uh how can they find habs on i'm sorry how can they find habs eyes on the prize uh, as well as the podcast, and then how can they interact with you on social media? Yeah, so uh, it, it's the website's a mouthful. Um, if <laughs> we, we always joked that if we could rename it, we we would. But at this point, it's it's so well known that we we just kind of we, we call it EOTP um, for short. But uh, yeah, the website's haveseyesontheprize dot com. Uh, it's exactly how you, it sounds. Um, so you can you can see us there on Twitter. It's much easier. It's Habs EOTP. Um, Absent minded, like the podcast you mentioned, is uh, at absent underscore minded, and uh, I'm at Jared Book, uh, you know J E R J A R E D B O K, and uh, yeah, it's it's um, it, it's uh, we, we like to tackle a lot of things. It's not just Montreal. Obviously, that's the that's the 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 the, the topic of choice. But I mean, we have draft profiles of 
I think upwards of of sixty guys. So uh, you know, whenever whenever the Blues step up to the podium, we'll probably have a profile of uh, of the player drafted uh, as well. So we we try and cover everything in World Championships, World Juniors. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. We have a um, Patrick uh, Bexellen who's in uh, in Sweden who talks to prospects all the time. Uh, so I mean, it's it's a lot of fun, and we have a great group and. Uh, yeah, if you like hockey, you know, if you want to come see how, how we're talking about Montreal, uh, definitely come check us out and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be happy to have you. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Jared, for coming on and talking Les Habitants with me. <laughs> uh, and uh, we'll have to have you on again sometime. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I again want to thank Jared for coming on. Uh, Jared, again, is a, a great resource for Montreal Canadiens news, so make sure – you uh, find him on social media if you are interested. Twitter handles for our show. Uh, for the show Twitter, you can find us at LGB Radio. Your show host, Kurt Price, is at Kurt Price, Kurt with a C. Bill Day at Billy Blue Note. And then Jeff Ponder, myself, can be found at jponder94. Our next episode will be released after 4th of July, so it will be on Friday, July 5th. Michael A. Bear of Oilers Live will be with me. He's a former guest of the show, longtime friend of the show. Uh, so very cool to have Michael back on. Uh, very, very knowledgeable hockey fan and a hockey player as well. So we uh, we kind of get into all that. So I am looking forward to that. Well, folks, that is going to do it for this episode. Everyone have a very happy and safe 4th of July here in the United States. Uh, for everyone else, have a good week. Uh, Thanks for listening. That concludes this show. Until next time, everyone, let's go blues. Play Gloria. Thanks for listening to the Hockey Show Blues Report of the Week. Have a great day.